The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, so turning your Bibles this evening to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at the first three verses. Often when, um, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard to, when you, just, when you just do this every once in a while, it's kind of hard to pick out something that you want to speak on or, or preach on or teach, maybe a devotion or whatever. And, uh, and I often might choose something that I've used before in some other capacity, whether this, the, the, something that I've done in the teen class or something like that. But other times, uh, I'll pick out a passage that, that maybe has really spoken to my heart in some way or, or maybe something that I'm going through. And, uh, and this passage tonight has been a great encouragement to me, and, uh, and I pray that it would be for you too. So let's start there reading at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this evening. I pray that you would open up our hearts to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in this 12th chapter of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit is urging us to carry on in these lives that we live by living by faith. Living by faith, of course, is essential for anyone who claims to be a true believer in Jesus Christ. Of course, we all understand that we're saved by grace through faith, but our faith doesn't end there with our salvation. We're supposed to continue on, continue on living this life with our faith, being that which helps us endure until we're able to stand face-to-face with Christ in eternity. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Right now, we walk by faith. In heaven, our faith will be exchanged for sight. But right now, our lives must be lived by faith. And it's by our faith that we're given the ability to often see a change in circumstances and directions in our lives that would be impossible to be accomplished by any other means. And we can look back at the Gospels alone there. I mean, many other places, but we can look at the Gospels, for instance, and we see so many examples of people's lives and circumstances that were changed by their faith. Uh, We even notice that Jesus would often comment on the effectiveness of that person's faith in regards to the miracle. He told the woman in Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, that her faith had made her well. When he healed the blind men in the same chapter, he said, According to your faith, let it be to you. And then in Luke chapter 17, verse 19, he told the leper that was cleansed of his disease, Your faith has made you well. And here in the book of Hebrews, we see lots of teachings and examples of how faith works. The whole 11th chapter is dedicated to men and women who by faith really just... They did some incredible things. But even before that is a verse that I'd like to draw your attention to, and that's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. 
And when we look at that, we read, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The just shall live by faith. Paul says this as well in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, when he says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Even back in the Old Testament we see this. Habakkuk writes in chapter 2, verse 4, that the just shall live by faith. We will live with Christ in eternity because of our faith. And our lives are to be ones that are to be lived out by faith even now. And although many great things can and will be accomplished by living lives of faith, the Hebrew author encourages us to live by faith when it comes to perseverance, when it comes to patience, when it comes to our spiritual endurance. And just to give you a a little background here on the text that we're looking at this, this evening, this letter was written to Jewish Christians. And many of these Jews had, had come out of their old legalistic religious system and had now firmly put their faith in Christ. But there were others who were still holding on to the old ways. And some were who, who were even in danger of going back to the old life as they found the life of faith to be too difficult and the cost to be too great. You see, it wasn't an easy road for these new believers who had come out of Judaism. They were greatly persecuted for what they believed. The culture that existed at the time was very hostile towards Christians. And this caused, this caused all kinds of problems for them. This caused issues between family members. This caused financial difficulties. This caused um, uh, many Jewish Christians to move away. And this was all the easy stuff. There was also the risk of imprisonment, stonings, and even death because of their faith and their association with Christ. And although we've not had to suffer like these believers, we all understand that the life that we live as Christians is not an easy life. In many ways, the life of faith is often the harder of the two roads that we might choose. I'm no prophet, but I would guess that if the current trajectory of our culture in this country continues, the Christian life is a life that is going to require much more faith and much more endurance than it does now. But even now, we're expected to live lives by faith. But we don't always do that. We struggle with that. And some of you tonight, you may be here, you may be struggling with things in your life. Maybe you're struggling with certain issues, with things that are happening around you in the world today. Maybe you're just sort of getting beat up by life in general. And you found yourself maybe growing tired. Maybe you feel like you've lost your way to a degree. Maybe you, you struggle with, with reconciling what you believe with what you see happening around you. Maybe, although far from being lost you still feel like you're not quite really where you should be. And although I trust that we're not like these, these Jewish men who are in danger of walking away from it all, I would guess that many times we all tend to, to default back to trying to do things on our own apart from Christ. We go back to leaning on our own understanding instead of God's word. We resort back to trusting the way that seems right to us instead of living by our faith. Well, in our text tonight, I think we're given the antidote for these types of issues. And our text gives us specific to-dos here, but it really all starts with looking and focusing on Jesus Christ. So tonight, I'd like to take some time to consider Christ, who is the object of our faith, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's because of who he is, and it's because of what he accomplished, that's the reason that we can have faith here tonight. So let's look at this. Consider Christ, number one there on your outline, who elects us in an event. 
who elects us in an event. As believers, we have been enrolled or elected in an event. And the event here is the Christian life. And the image that we are given in our text is of a race. The Hebrew author compares the life of a Christian to a race. Look there at the end of verse 1. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The race that is set before us is the Christian life. And according to the Hebrew author, we are runners in this race. As believers, we have been registered and placed on the starting line by Christ when we first come to know him in faith. And we're going to cross that finish line one day and enter into him, enter into eternity with him. And what happens in between then and now is what the author here writes and describes as the race. And if you are a Christian here this evening, you are a participant in that race. Now, right then, when I say that, I got a visual of everybody in track shorts. And so I'm looking at you guys. I'm seeing you guys in track shorts and sneakers right now. <laughs> but the idea of our lives being compared to a race, it's not an unfamiliar one. You guys have heard this before. We find this idea elsewhere in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. We are told to run the race in the way that we should get the prize. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul tells us that by keeping his faith, he's finished the course, or in other words, he has finished his race. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, we read about finishing the course as well. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, we are encouraged to strain forward and, and press on toward the mark for the prize. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, Paul tells us that he does not run aimlessly in this race, as to say there must be purpose behind our efforts. So there's lots of comparisons there, lots of images for us to draw upon. And I think it's important to note that this race is not a sprint. This is not a sprint. It's an endurance race. That's why we see the author instruct us to run with patience, or another word, endurance. And here we are. We're all out there, and we're running. And some of us are running with endurance, and some of us are not. And if you visualize this picture for, the sec for a second, it's quite the scene, really. You have all sorts of runners. Some runners are running strong. Some are running not so strong. Others may be walking. Some are sort of just wandering around out there. Some are tripping over their own feet. And others, unfortunately, are actually even going backwards. But the key to your success in this race is not being the fastest. It's not being better than the other runners at all. It's about how you run the race. So how do you run this type of race? Well, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. This race, this Christian life requires perseverance. It requires discipline. It requires focus. It requires self-denial. It requires dealing with adversity. This isn't a fun run. It's not a jingle bell jog. It's not a turkey trot. This is a serious race for serious runners, and if you're a believer here tonight, you have been chosen and expected to be a serious participant in this race. And the question is, are you running the race where your steps are guided and your actions are determined by your faith in Christ, or are you trying to do it another way? Is there something else that you're depending upon? Well, most of the time, what we're depending upon is us, 
And it doesn't have to be that way, and it shouldn't be that way, and it can't be that way. You see, our faith is the greatest endurance and performance-enhancing supplement that we could ever have available to us in this race. So why, why wouldn't we put our faith in Christ? He was the one that set the race before us. He knows the distance of our race. He knows the obstacles that we're going to face. He knows the trials. He knows the pain. He knows the suffering. He knows the course. So why wouldn't we trust him with our everyday lives the same way we trusted him when it came to our salvation? We're often quick to trust Christ when it comes to salvation, but slow to trust Christ with our everyday lives, and it doesn't work that way. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Faith is the key here, specifically an enduring and a lasting type of faith. What exactly is faith? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. William MacDonald writes in his commentary, It makes things hoped for as real as if we already had them. And it provides unshakable evidence that the unseen spiritual blessings of Christianity are absolutely certain and real. In other words, it brings the future within the present and it makes the invisible seen. Faith is confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Faith is conviction that what Christ says is true and what he promises will come to pass. I also think it's important to note that faith is always connected to action. Faith is seen, it's visualized, it's on display. James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So the Hebrew author here, he's letting these Jewish people know, and us too, that this life is a life that must be lived by faith. And if we're living by faith, then it's going to be noticeable. So in order to run this race with endurance and the perseverance needed, we must first consider Christ. We must first focus and put our faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, consider Christ who empowered our encouragement. Number two, who empowered our encouragement. Encouragement can be defined as something that makes someone more hopeful. It makes someone more confident. It makes someone more determined. And in this Christian life, we all need that, right? I do. Well, now here's the encouragement. Look in the text here, beginning at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So here we are in this race that is the Christian life, and we are compassed about or surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Well, just who are these witnesses? Well, if you look there at at the text, you see the word wherefore at the beginning of verse 1. And this connects this statement with what had just been discussed there in chapter 11. And if you look back in chapter 11, you're going to find a whole big list of men and women who did some amazing things by what? Faith. Chapter 11 is often referred to as the hall of faith. These men and women, and of course all the saints that have gone before us, are the witnesses. They are witnesses to the power of faith in the life of a believer. These men and women are our encouragement. 
But I don't think that they're, they're necessarily sitting there in a, in, a, in a heavenly stadium watching us on some cosmic jumbotron doing the wave and, and cheering for us like that. Something tells me that they're, they're more preoccupied with what's going on with Christ. Um, but I do know this. They are listed here as a means of encouragement for us. But the encouragement doesn't come from them looking at us, but us looking at them. Their lives of enduring faith is the encouragement. They've crossed the finish line. They've ran the race. They were all victorious. They are encouragement to us that it can be done. They are witnesses to the life of faith. They are witnesses that living by faith does work. It works when we go through trials. Look at Abraham. It works when we stand up against evil. Look at Moses. It works when it comes to family. Look at Sarah. It works when we believe God's warnings. Look at Noah. We even see faith on display through suffering, through mocking, through stonings, and even in the midst of some of the worst things that that you could ever think of, like being sawn in half. There's great encouragement by looking at others who have lived lives by faith. Even now, you here tonight can be an encouragement to someone else by living your life by faith. I can think of many Christians that I've known in the past and, and even some members of this church that have displayed great faith during some very, very trying times. And that was an encouragement to me. That was a, a really big encouragement to me, and, I, and I'm sure to many others as well. And remember what Paul told the church there at Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, he said, So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. So whatever you might be struggling with, and, and, or whatever that you might be going through tonight, know this, others have been there. Others have been there. Others have went through what you're going through. Don't ever fall into the trap that nobody understands, that nobody has ever experienced and, and is facing what you're facing. We are not trailblazers in this race. Others have already been through and will go through this, and people that we know and people in the past, and we see this, and they've been seen through it all. Well, how is that? Well, by their faith. This is the encouragement for the believer. All the many testimonies of our heroes of the faith, the faithful believers throughout history, maybe even our grandparents or parents, these are all people who are faithful witnesses to the life of faith and that it really does work. And when it comes to living this life of faith, there are a couple things that we can do right now as believers to help us while we run this race. So let's look at these. Thirdly, consider Christ who eliminated all encumbrances. Who eliminated all encumbrances. When we look at the life of Jesus Christ, nothing, and I mean nothing, that this world could ever, ever offer him would entangle him would entice him. Nothing ever drew him away from his faith and ultimately doing the will of his Father here on this earth. You want the race analogy for that? Nothing restrained him from running the race the way that he needed to run it, the way that it should have been ran, the way that he needed to run the race. Can we look at our lives tonight? Can we say the same thing about our lives? Jesus was not hindered by gaining popularity or prestige. John chapter 1 verse 11 says that he came into his own and his own received him not. He was not burdened by anything materialistic or financial. 
Luke chapter 9, verse 58 says, And Jesus said unto them, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he never committed any type of sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ eliminated any potential roadblocks that this world could throw at him. But what about us? Well, look at verse 1. See what it says? Lay, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There's three commands there. First one, let go of the world's weight. The second one, repent and turn from sin. And the third one is endure in your faith to the finish. Let's look at the first one. The text reads, let us lay aside every weight. The image, again, is of the runner, removing anything and everything that would be a hindrance to him in this race. Maybe he's taken his jacket off, he's taken his hat off, he's taken his, his warm-ups off. Anything and everything that might slow him down, might get in his way, or might jeopardize the overall effectiveness of his race, he takes this stuff off and he lays it aside. The idea here is to shed any type of weight that is working against you in your Christian life. If you've watched any type of running event, or, or really any type of sports in general, you'll notice that clothing today, most clothing that athletes wear, it's tighter than ever before, it's smaller than ever before, it's lighter than ever before. Companies like Nike, uh, they spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on research on just how to make clothing lighter and more aerodynamic for athletes. And the reason is this, because athletes are serious about performance. And they're very sensitive to anything that might inhibit their effectiveness in their particular event. And we as believers, we have to be more sensitive to these types of things in our event as well. Things that are working against us in our faith. And I think it would be fair to ask ourselves tonight, what thing, or maybe things, are holding me back? If we were honest with ourselves, we would all have things that may be hindering us in our Christian lives, things that might be holding us back, halting our growth, keeping us from trusting like we should, maybe even getting in the way of our obedience to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's possessions, maybe it's stuff, maybe it's our toys, maybe it's popularity, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's the pleasures of life, maybe it's self-dependence. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's being busy. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's apathy. And maybe it's even fear. I think an honest evaluation will reveal to us that it's probably closer to several of these than it is to none of those. He says, lay off these things. Shed these things. Get rid of these things that's working against you in your faith. There's a story about the army of Alexander the Great that illustrates this pretty well. While the army of uh, Alexander was approaching Persia, at one critical point, it appeared that Alexander's troops might actually be defeated. And the reason, well, all the soldiers had taken so much plunder from their previous campaigns that they had become so weighted down that they were losing their effectiveness in combat. So here's what Alexander did. He commanded that all the spoils that everyone had be thrown into a big pile and burned. Well, his men were obviously upset about this, and it said that they even complained bitterly. But they all soon saw the wisdom of the order, and they complied. Someone later wrote, It was as, as if wings had been given to them, 
They walked lightly again. Victory was assured. As soldiers of Christ, we must see the wisdom of the order as well and rid ourselves of the stuff that's keeping us from doing what we need to be doing. Even things that may not necessarily be bad things can still weigh you down and work against you in your faith. But the Hebrew writer also goes on to say that we need to lay aside the sin, the sin that's in our life too. He phrases it as the sin that so easily doth beset us. The word beset there means to trouble persistently, to attack from every side, to harass, to cause consistent difficulties. Of course, all sin does that to us. But what I'd like for you to do tonight is maybe get a little more personal. Uh, is there one sin? Is there one sin that you can think of, or, or maybe a couple, but is there one sin that you can think of that really works against you time and time and time again? It's that sin that you have that always seems to trip you up. It always seems to entangle you. It's that sin that you find yourself over and over and over again coming to Christ for forgiveness for. For some people, it's pride. For others, it's lust. Maybe it's envy or or gossip. Can you identify what that sin is for you? And if you can't, the chances are that the enemy has already identified it within you and uses every chance that he gets to trigger it. I think one sin that it could be that would do the most damage against our faith would have to be unbelief. And I'm not talking in terms of unbelief here as far as our salvation. I'm talking about unbelief in everyday situations. When it comes to trusting, when it comes to doubting, when it comes to thinking our way is better than God's way. Actually, Spurgeon called this type of unbelief the parent of every other iniquity. But whatever it is, we need to finally lay this stuff aside. We need to get rid of this stuff. It's keeping us from a true and faithful pursuit of the living Christ. And if that pursuit's an important one to you, you will lay these things aside. But you know what? You actually have to be pursuing Christ in the first place to ever know what's hindering that pursuit. There's no way that that you can know what's keeping you back from something unless you are focusing on moving towards something. Also, when it comes to our stuff and our baggage, our sin, did you ever consider that it might be affecting other people as well? It might be getting in the way of other runners on the course. Several years ago, I ran a race, and it was one of those big races with thousands and thousands of people. I'm sure several of you guys have probably done those. Uh, All different types of runners out there. Some were very concerned about their time and and how they ran the race, very serious about it. And others were out there, and they were not so serious. They were just out there to kind of have fun and and to lollygag around. Well, as the race started, I found myself behind this huge, thousands of people in front of me, and I'm weaving through the crowd, trying to make my way through the crowd, and I came up behind about 20 or 30 people that were all dressed like circus clowns. And they had all these balloons and, and stuff, and they were laughing, and they were holding hands and skipping and, and, and doing what clowns do, I, I suppose. But they caused such a log jam on the course that people, including myself, were getting frustrated because we were having to fight to get through these people. We were having to fight to get around these people just to be able to continue to run our race. And you know, there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians that are out there on the course making it tough for the rest of us. None of us are perfect. I'm not saying that. But these type of people take no concern about the race, no concern about how it should be run, no concern about the other runners at all. 
And what happens is you have those that even though they claim Christ, they're actually frustrating, they're slowing down, and they're backing up the work of the church. So our stuff, it not only affects us, but it affects others as well. So let's do what we're commanded to do, and and let's get rid of this stuff that's working against us in our faith. Next, we read here that we must run with endurance. We talked about that earlier. Let us run with patience. Once again, this isn't a sprint. This is a long race that requires endurance, powered by a life of faith. And have you noticed that as a believer, for, for a true believer, when you think about the longevity of this race that's before us, and all the stuff that's out there and can happen to you and go on and all this stuff, that there's this confidence that we have, this confidence that we have inside of us that all things are going to work out. All things are going to work out the way that God intends them to. That's awesome to have that. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 31. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So who do these things work together for? To them that love God. To them that believe in him to them that have faith in him. No matter how long it takes, no matter how long that we may suffer, how long that we may sorrow, we know that things work out for the believer. We just read that, and you know the Bible says that faith comes by hearing. We just read that, and, and there's hope there. There's hope with that. Look at Moses, look at Job, look at David. All examples of men who demonstrated great patience and, and endurance in their faith. But the best example of this is Christ. The best example is Christ, who showed the greatest endurance of anyone who has ever walked the face of this earth. So number four on your outline is consider Christ who endured as our example. Who endured as our example. Look at verses two and three again. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And I must admit to you tonight that this fourth point was a tough one for me to get through. It was a tough one for me to prepare. It was a tough one for me to put into words. I mean... Where do you even start when attempting to communicate what Christ went through, what he endured on this earth? How, I mean, how can you do that? It's like the, the writer who starts typing something and then he wads it up and throws it in the trash and starts over and he just does it again and again and again and again because you just can't put into words what he went through. The text tonight lists three aspects of his endurance. He endured the cross. He endured the horrific shame. And he endured unbelievable hostility against him. And as we read at the end of verse 3, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Listen, whatever you're going through or could ever go through in this life, it's nothing compared to what Christ went through. This example here is given to us for comparison. When you're focused on your life and your circumstances and everything that's going on with you, turn your focus away from you and on to Christ. 
When life gives you lemons, you don't just make lemonade. You turn your focus onto Christ. You put your faith in Christ. You look at Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. When this world entices you with, with everything that it offers, you keep looking at Christ. You focus on Christ. You keep looking at him. When you're tired, when you're, you're beat up, when you don't think you can go another step, you look at Christ. You focus on him. You keep moving forward. When others mock you, when they, when they ridicule you, when they even hate you, you focus on Christ. You consider the shame and hatred that he went through. You focus on Jesus. Verse 2 at the beginning there says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Verse 3 there says, Consider him. Consider Christ who endured shame by being accused of sin and charged as a, as a criminal. Consider Christ who endured shame by being mocked repeatedly. You know, they mocked every aspect of who he was. They mocked him as a person. They mocked his divinity. They mocked him as a king. They, they, they mocked his priesthood. They mocked him as a prophet. Every aspect of who he is was mocked. He endured shame by being stripped naked and spit upon. Matthew chapter 26, verse 67 tells us about that. He endured shame even in the method of his death, which was the cross. And the cross, how can we even begin to describe the the agony, the pain, the suffering, the torture that our Savior went through on that cross? And to compound all of this, his very last and most difficult moments, he was alone. He was all alone. His friends had left him. The crowds, everybody else was hostile towards him. And as the wrath of God was poured on him, he even cried out to his heavenly Father, Why hast thou forsaken me? Tonight, whatever, whatever shame you've suffered, or pain or torment, that you may suffer for the cause of Christ, remember this. Consider Christ. Look at Jesus. Recall what he went through. Look what he endured. In this race that you and I run, remember this, focusing on the finish line is focusing on Jesus Christ. The pleasures of this world, the struggles of this world, the sorrow in this world, the shame that comes from this world, the loneliness in this world, it's all out there on the racetrack. It's all out there on your course. Keep your eyes on Christ. Focus on Christ. The familiar hymn goes, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful gaze. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And lastly tonight, I'll ask you to consider Christ who enables us to end victoriously. Consider Christ who enables us to end victoriously. In a race, all the runners have motivation for doing what they do. They have a reason for putting themselves through all that, whether it's the finish line or, or, or what will be received once they get to the finish line or cross the finish line. The reward has to be worth the work. It has to be worth the cost. It has to be worth the training. It has to be worth the sacrifice. And I trust that as believers here tonight, we know what awaits us. And is it worth it to you tonight? When you consider Christ, when you think about Christ, do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder why he did what he did? Why he purposely went through all that? Why he purposely went through all that shame? Why he purposely went through all the suffering? 
why he purposely went to the cross to die? Verse 2 tells us, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, Christ always kept his eyes fixed on the coming glory. He knew that he knew that he would defeat death. He knew he would rise again victoriously and be at the right hand of his father. But you know what else that joy that was set before him was? It was you and it was me. He died and rose again that we might live with him. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. It is a faithful saying for if we be dead with him we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And when we cross that finish line, when we cross that finish line, when we finally cross that finish line, we cross with Christ. We cross with Jesus Christ. It's because of him that we cross that that finish line. It's because of him that we receive any type of reward. God the Father looks at us as we come across that finish line and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see our shortcomings. He doesn't see our failures. He doesn't see when we were back there and tripped over our feet on, at mile three. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he sees it because of our faith in him. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ, Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Wherever you're at in your life tonight, maybe you've made mistakes, maybe you've, you've slipped up in your race, maybe you're just not living how you should be. It doesn't matter how you've ran the race up to this point. The question is, how will you run the rest of your race? Maybe you've got baggage you need to get rid of. Maybe some sin to turn from. Maybe you're looking for consistency, endurance in your life, living your life of faith. Whatever it is, whatever you're going through, always come back to this. Focus on Christ. It's all about him. Consider Christ. Always consider Christ. And let us run with patience this race that we all have set before us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this evening. I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for all the believers that are here tonight. I pray that you've opened up our heart to your word. Help us to to take what what we've learned and, and apply it to our lives. We pray that everything we would do in this church would be things that would glorify the name of Jesus Christ. We ask all this in his precious name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.